0: Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode, you'll hear Greg Barris.
1: And um, this is where it gets kind of graphic. We, um, she, I can't even look at you guys. She, uh...
0: <laughs> that and more. But before that, as you might remember, Chris Castiglione was a member of the Risk team for a long time. He created our fabulous site, Risk show.com. And I've mentioned that Chris went on to create an online class called One Month HTML. A lot of Risk fans took the class. And loved it, they learned how easy it was to code by taking these one-month video courses. Now the one-month guys have an even more popular course, One Month Rails. One Month Rails is a series of bite-sized video lessons and step-by-step tutorials that teach anyone, even a total beginner, how to build their first web app like a simple photo sharing app in just 30 days. If you get stuck, there's always a real person to help you out online while you learn. In the one-month Rails class, you'll learn Ruby on Rails, HTML, CSS, Bootstrap, GitHub, and more. Over 14,000 students have already started building their dream app and taking their career to the next level. So what are you waiting for? Enroll now at onemonth.com slash you. Enrollment is typically $99, but if you join now, you'll get a one-time discount off for joining. And as always, you'll be helping to support risk. Again, it's one month rails, 30 minutes a day for 30 days. And you'll actually build your first web app. Also, How great would it be if the post office was open 24 seven? No more limited hours. You could get your mailing and shipping done on your schedule. Now you can when you use stamps.com. You can print postage whenever you need it, right from your desk. Stamps.com will save you the time and hassle of going to the post office. No more rushing there during your busy day. Just use your computer and printer to get official US postage for any letter or package. And then the mailman picks it up. You'll save money with stamps.com too. You get exact postage. Instant, you need it, no more overpaying, and you even get special postage discounts you can't get at the post office. We use stamps.com at risk and the story studio, and we love it. And right now, you can use our promo code RISK for this special offer it's a no risk trial plus a hundred and ten dollar bonus offer that includes a digital scale and up to fifty five dollars free postage. So, don't wait, go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in risk. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Now here's the show. Oh, folks, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is uh, Bitchin' Barbo Barimbas. <clears throat> it's not that at all. It's Bitchin' Bajas behind me now. And as I record this, I am currently 67 days sober. No uh, pot, alcohol, poppers... Or coffee. And 33 days vegan. Um, I've taken to telling people I'm only vegan because I'm better than you. Because everyone hates vegans. There's just an inordinate amount of rage aimed at the plant eaters. So far, I feel a lot more energy, a lot more stability and solidity and a sense of being more present, I guess. Although I still do regularly get emails from you guys saying, oh my gosh, on the latest episodes, your voice is so irritating and annoying because you're clearly so drunk and stoned, which I'm not, so thanks. Anyway, I'm hoping that this new clarity and health within three or four months I'll have, I don't know, made a little bit of a breakthrough on some deeper level because of it all and be able to share a story with you from that. Anyway, last week, as you know, was a historic week for this country. Uh, The Confederate flags were finally coming down. Meanwhile, black churches were burning. Uh, Meanwhile, Obamacare was preserved and gay marriage was legalized all of these things every one of these things just reminds me how important how crucial it is to us to hear people's real stories of their real experiences you know there's that famous quote there isn't anybody you couldn't love once you've heard their story and today we have a few stories about attempts at romantic love Uh, some successful some not we're calling it odd couples in a little bit, we're going to hear from Anna Sarah... Hmm, let me get her name right. Let me get her name right. Oh, let me get her name right. Oh, 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 let me get her name right. Anna Sarah Gina is who we're going to be hearing from in a little bit. But before that, we're going to hear from stand-up comedian Greg Barris. He told this one at the Risk Live show in New York City... Here he is now, Greg Barris, with a story we call Dream Girl.
1: Thank you guys so much. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Thank you guys for coming out. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks for being here. Thank you. A couple more people, sure. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, wow. Uh, let's just get into it. This is a true story. Let's, um... During the time of this story, this is important, is I was totally sober. I was one year, one month, no booze, no weed, no caffeine. Thank you, thank you. My family was like, surely you can have a glass of wine with dinner. Surely you can have some dessert tequila. (laughs) And um, I had done a show, and after the show was over, I was leaving the show, and there was this girl at the bar all alone, a lone girl at the bar, like a nine at the bar. And I know numbers, people have like things with the number thing, but okay. And uh, so like this nine alone at the bar, And I don't have a lot of moves. I'm not like a kind of guy who's like, oh, let's just throw out all your moves that you knew from the book. You know, that's not my style. You know, I have like one move, and it's a very subtle. And I did it. It's a very subtle walk by move. I'll just do it now. It's really super. I'm a subtle person. I'll just do it. You guys are the nine at the bar. I'll be me. Okay, here we go. Subtle. Here we go. (laughs) Hi, how are you? So I threw my move out there, I threw it out there, nothing back, got zero back, not a thing. So I was like, let's just get out of here. What were you thinking? Walk home, get out of here now. So I walk six blocks home to the subway, and I walk down the stairs of the subway, and then my inner voice is like, what are you doing? Turn around, you can do this. You're cool, kind of. I'm not that confident with my inner voice. (laughs) You're kind of cool. Turn around, you can do this. Like, you sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. My inner voice, like, tries to trick me. Like, "This this is the voice of God. You can do this. I made the stars. Like, yeah, okay. And so I start walking back up the stairs and I get back above ground and I'm walking back to the bar and the wind picks up. It gets suddenly very windy, like against me. Like that's a sign. But still, I persisted forward. A stick gets picked up by the wind and hits me in the face. And I'm like, that means nothing. That means nothing. Keep going. You got this. I walk back into the bar and the girl is still there and we talk. I end up talking to her for an hour and a half. I talk to the stranger at the bar. Yay, thank you. And and I'm really, I'm killing it. I'm making a lot of jokes. Things are going great, just like right now. And... uh, (laughs) And then her friends come, and I start making jokes with her friends, you know, because it's important. And uh, one of her friends is a doodler and doodles a picture of me as a dragon. My head on a dragon's body. I'm killing it at the bar. Then she's like, uh, hey, we're going to go across the street and go dancing. Do you want to go dancing with us? And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) Okay. I mean I, was, I mean, I was like, yeah, okay, sure, let's go dancing. And uh, you guys know me, so you know that A, I'm a great dancer, and B, I'm a really great dancer. And uh, here's a little... There you go. It's a little taste. And uh, so we go dancing. I kill it, obviously. And... We close this place down and I'm, everything was great and I get, I leave, everybody leaves, I get into a cab and I'm like, that was great, Greg, you're following your intuition, you're getting in touch with your instincts, you're following your impulses, awesome, and then I'm like, wait a second. That girl doesn't even know my full name. I don't know her full name. There was no phone number exchange. What have you done? And I start talking to the cab driver like, hey man, listen, we gotta find this girl. We gotta turn around and find her because something was going on. And the cab guy is like a million percent on board. And he's like, yes, you must follow your heart. And I'm like, well, it's not like that. Okay, yeah, yeah, I gotta follow my heart. And we turn around and we're like tearing through the streets of Williamsburg looking for this girl. And he's like, is that her? Is that her? I'm like, that's a bum. Why doesn't my seatbelt work? <laughs> and then we see her, and he's like flashing his lights at her, and he's honking the horn, and she's like freaking out. <laughs> and I write my name and number on a napkin, you know? And I, we roll up next to her, and I roll the window down. I'm like, hey, that was a really great time. We should hang out again. See ya! <laughs> <laughs> I'm like yes, and the next day she texts me. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And she's like, "Remember that funny joke we made?" I'm like, "Yeah, I remember that joke." And uh, and then we make plans to go out the next night. So I get super dolled up to the maximum, which is this, and and, uh, and we make plans and we go out and. Um, turns out that this girl is a raging alcoholic and guess what else a dominatrix yeah oh this is good this is healthy this is good for me what is that a red flag i didn't see it And uh, so we're out, and she's drinking and drinking and drinking. I'm totally sober, just having like a club soda. And uh, she's like, this is weird that you're not drinking. It's kind of crazy that you're not drinking. I don't know how I like it. I guess it's fine. (laughs) And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, like, uh, I can make this work. This is fine. (laughs) (laughs) Then... We start sort of uh, making out. We start making out. This is like me talking about making out. This is we start making out <laughs> on the street. Then, uh, then she's like, um, "Do you want to come back to my place?" And I'm like, you know, like, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I was like, yeah, okay, cool, let's go. So we go back to her place and uh, we're making out on the couch. And um, this is where it gets kind of graphic. We, um, she, I can't even look at you guys. She. Uh, <laughs> She, well, <laughs> we're making it on the couch and she uh, she takes my top off <laughs> and then I take her top off and then she, she takes my pants off so I'm exposed, fully exposed on the couch and then the dominatrix without a safe word <laughs> hits me She hits me, not in the face. She hits me, not in the face. She hits me down there, like this. This is literal. My immediate reaction, like some kind of uh, instinct, is to grab her hair and choke her. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? Why, 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 (laughs) why? Then the dominatrix gets mad at me. She gets mad at me. She, these are her words. She calls me a faggot. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been called a faggot during straight heterosexual sex, but immediate panic attack washes over me, full of anxiety, having like a flashback to like fifth grade gym class. And, uh, <laughs> and then she kicks me out of her house and I'm like holding my pants, leaving her house, like why is this happening to me? <laughs> why is this going on? Moral of the story. Do not follow your dreams. Oh, cute girl at the bar? Walk it off. Sleep it off. Way safer that way. It's going to be way better for you. All right, that's it for me. Thanks a lot. Have a good night. Why would you do that? Why, 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 (laughs) why?
2: Sucker.
3: Hello. Hello, hi. Nice to see you. Sort of. Nice to sort of see you. Um... (laughs) When I was 12 years old, my family moved from Moscow, Russia, to Vancouver, Canada, which is just, like, a huge upgrade, just any way you look at it. Russia is generally very somber. I don't know if you've heard this controversial uh, generalization. (laughs) Pretty somber place in general. Like, I remember um, there were two channels on the TV. This was uh, would have been mid-'90s, and one of the two channels... There was always at like 6.30, no, later than that, 8 p.m., they would play like a childhood cartoon for you to watch as a, as a kid, and it would be mortifying. It would just be fucking crazy. Uh, like they would show their version of the Little Mermaid, in which she just dies. She just 100% <laughs> dies in the end she turns into sea foam and then uh the love of her life rides over her in a boat uh with a newer hotter lady (laughs) and it's very sad so they would show that and then they would play like a good night song and then they would show like usually a made for TV movie about the holocaust. So you'd be so sad about the first thing that you'd be like there's no way I can go to sleep now because it's sad and then you'd see that and be like everything's terrible. So moving to Vancouver, Canada instantly was an upgrade and I had all these like everything was amazing all the time. It was just must have been very annoying to be around. I first of all had a penis tip haircut which is a good hairstyle um, <laughs> when you're 12. But uh, I would like, I remember the first culture shock moment was I went into a, like a massive grocery store and a friend of my dad's while we were shopping opened up a can of Coke and then started drinking it in the store and I was like, what are you doing? They're going to kill us. <laughs> and he was like, it's fine. It's like, You just pay later. And I was like, no one's going to kill you? <laughs> And then it was fine. So everything was amazing. Uh, I moved with my mom and dad, uh, and they were like, "I don't know, we moved to this beautiful place." And I really, honestly, up until this point, like I don't remember them at all. I kind of if I think back on what I thought of my parents before this, it's these like two abstract, sort of like amoebus figures that like one, my dad had like a ponytail and was a large, thor-like. And then my mom, just also large with a ponytail. And then just definitely also Thor-like. Very scary. And then me in the middle with just a penis, where hair should be. There should be hair, and then me and my two ponytails, and that's it. That was us when we moved. And at first we moved to this beautiful place in Vancouver, and then my dad couldn't find a job, so we had to immediately downgrade to what turned out to be, like, project housing unit for predominantly immigrant families. And it was disgusting. This place was, like, in a basement, um, kind of, like, a, on a downslope that you could kind of walk up to from outside. And the apartment itself just had, like, brown, scratchy carpet that looked like diarrhea. And then, like, the walls and the counters somehow together looked like styrofoam that had been, like, chipped off. And just everything was gross and stale and wet all the time. Mm. But still, it's not Russia, so fuck yeah, you know? (laughs) And my dad, in this time, started trying to find a job, and he couldn't. And so he just kept to himself on his computer and just every day would try to find a job. In order to supplement her time, my mom took to the Internet. This is when uh, Russian forums became very popular. Mm. Just hot singles meeting each other uh, near me. And she met this man who, at first, was like, oh, I just want to be your friend, you know? And I, I, that seemed fun, you know? I like friends, I'm 12. It's the late 90s, you know? Perfect time to meet friends. Um, and so she met this man, and they started hanging out, and they would bring me with them, and he was terrific. Like, he looked like a fat Mr. Bean. I thought that was super fun you know and he liked me he like he was the first adult person who like took me seriously and i would make like dumb voices and faces and he would laugh and that seemed important for some reason and so he like the three of us would hang out together all the time and he would essentially take us to these like beautiful places in Vancouver like all these artisanal you know just like just like an artisanal gelato shop mm-hmm. Where you'd walk in and everything would be like bright purple and blue and minty and like the people working there seemed minty and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and then he would take us to the beach and the water was like beautiful and clear and blue then i'd come back to my shitty apartment with brown carpet and a dad with a ponytail that wasn't facing me you know mm-hmm. just like bobbing as he's looking for a job and so by comparison this dude seemed great And the more time they spent together, like, I didn't know. I was just dumb. I was just, like, a dumb kid. So I was like, the three of us are a friendship, you know? The three of us are, like, the ultimate pact. And I just didn't know. And then, like, a couple of months into them hanging out, my mom, uh, like, pulled me aside one time and, like, a flirty girlfriend was like, so I've actually been thinking about leaving your dad for this guy. What do you think about that? And everything was like, what? You lied to us? I don't know who us is. Just me and my penis, I guess. (laughs) Me and my hair? You lied to both of us? I mean, me, fine, but the haircut? Come on. And, um, you know, I felt really betrayed because not only was she, like, asking my permission weirdly to have an affair, but it also felt like she was asking me to have an affair not with her that'd be weird but you know to cheat on my dad essentially with this other guy whom I liked I don't know I just felt really shitty and like I would I guess but been part of the whole ordeal and so from that point out I kind of like pulled back and just started siding with my dad who still wasn't really around but he started trying you know And, um, a couple of months after this, there's this one specific day where my dad and I are, like, trying to, we, like, don't know how to hang out with each other, you know, because it's just, like, an adult man who's absent and, like, stern, and then, like, a kid who's, like, but anything you want to do, I guess... And so we figured out, we finangled this, like, family night where we um, just ordered Domino's pizza, also available in Canada, (laughs) and put on The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. That was the movie. And we settle in to this, like, I remember our couch being, like, really scratchy with stains on it everywhere. But it was like, this is what we do now. Just hang out on this couch and watch this movie. You need a meat lover's pizza. I love my dad, I guess. so we're watching this movie, and in the middle of it, my mom comes out with this packed Wilson tennis bag made out of that like swooshy material. That's just like horrible to listen to. Um, it was just like obnoxious silver, you know, and she I guess had like packed some things and stood exclusively in front of the TV. And was like, um, well, I'm leaving in 10 minutes. Uh, Mikhail is coming to pick me up. And I guess if you don't want me to leave, now is the time to, you know, tell me that you don't want me to leave. So if you're going to tell me, tell me. I guess now would be the time that you'd say that. <laughs> now, any, in the next 10 minutes, any, any moment. And my dad, just, like, in the most stoic, I guess still Russian way, just, like, looks right past her and is like, um, you're in the way. So, And I, like, look at him, and I guess I've chosen to side with him, so I'm like, yeah, we're going to keep eating pizza. and <laughs> Like, mean mug my mom and, like, take another slice and chew on it. And I definitely can't see past her, but I'm like, I'm just imagining that they're wearing hats. Whatever. <laughs> And uh, so she, like, paces around the apartment, and pretty much, like, at the 10-minute mark, there's a knock, not on the door, but on the window. And the window, like I said, we live in this basement apartment, so the window is, like, anybody it's below the sidewalk, so somebody could, like, walk up. The glass I remember being always being like soot colored, so you just never like quite get ex- like exposed sunshine. It's just always like through through a thick grain, and there on the other side of the thick grain is Fat Mr. Bean, and he's just standing there, like he's like kind of a part of our family now, you know, just like a weird ugh, like Zeus on the other side of this window. I don't know why he didn't just use a door like a normal person, but. And so we like look at him and he's knocking on the window and keeping the car running or whatever and my mom's like well here he is so you know if you want me to stay you have one minute (laughs) just like keeping the countdown going and my dad's still chewing and not saying anything Mikhail I guess at this point like gets that he should come to the door I guess this is nobody's answering the window (laughs) So he walks around into our building and starts pounding on the door. And my mom's still, like, waiting, I guess. And is like, is anybody going to say anything? Is anybody going to keep me around? Or He's pounding. I don't know if you guys heard, but uh, there's a little pounding over there. And then my dad, like, puts down his pizza and is like, don't eat my slice. I wasn't going to, but all right. (laughs) And then, like... The only way I can recall it is like it all happened in one swooping motion. He like got off the couch, put down the pizza, got off the couch, walked straight to the door, wiped his mouth with like just an an entire arm. <laughs> and then opened the door and then looked at this man who's shorter than he is, although wider, and picked him up by the neck. <laughs> And then held him elevated above the floor. And so the man's feet are dangling. So we have a fat Mr. Bean <laughs> dangling off the floor. And I'm like, holy fuck. This is amazing. I've never seen anything like this. This fucking rules. And then I want to help. Like, you know, like I'm, I'm with my dad now. So I've got to do something. I can't lift him up myself with a littler arm that doesn't make sense. But I want to, I have all this like weird energy because watching a fight is weird anyway, you know, but it's like my dad and this dude that I decided I hate. And so I'm like, I want to fucking, I want to help out so bad. I'm going to, Mm, I don't know. What do I? So I like run into my room and look for weapons. I think I'm not really <laughs> sure what. And I'm like looking around frantically, and there's nothing. And then I see that I have these Barbie dolls that had been like a real point of pride after moving to the Western Hemisphere. I have these Barbie dolls, and I'm like, that's good. I'll use that. <laughs> and then I like pick one up, and I don't know how to help with it. So I I get like excited and terrified, and I and I just rip the head. <laughs> off the doll and I'm like yeah this is something and then (laughs) I like just look back into the hallway and the doorway and I'm like just I'll throw it and then I threw it at them but bad throw so it landed closer to me but I was like that felt fucking great and so then I go back and I get more and I'm decapitating that one I'm throwing it and like from an aerial perspective it just must have looked like a really shitty low budget eastern european version of like fight club I guess like just dumb And my dad's still holding this guy. It's been like a good over a minute, however long it takes to decapitate several... Several bods or whatever, and uh, he's still holding him. And meanwhile, my mom's flipping out, and she uh, calls the cops on the phone. And whoever is the operator on the phone tells her to put my dad on the phone. And so she walks over to my and she's like pleading with him and like showing him the phone. And so he's like, "All right," and he like puts down the guy and picks up the phone. And I guess the operator says, "Like, I'm sorry, sir, but if your wife wants to leave, you can't." Hold her back like you have to let her leave. And so he just shuts off the phone and then like doesn't look at them anymore, and doesn't look at my mom, just goes back to the couch and sits down. And the movie's been playing the whole time. So the like the theme music of the good, the bad and the ugly is like woo like while I'm fucking and so he sits back down and he starts watching the movie and he, like, picks up, like, an entirely new slice of pizza, you know, like, new beginnings or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then so I don't know what to do, so I just sit down next to him, and but I'm all, like, fucking, uh, like, a buzz, you know? I'm excited, but I'm just watching him and then I'm kind of watching them. And my dad is like, I don't know, is a last attempt, I guess. You could tell him to leave. Maybe he'll listen to you. And then he sees like i am like mortified and so he's like all right you actually i'm not going to make you do that and he just like into the hallway kind of absently and sadly says like you know i'm just trying to watch a movie and eat pizza with my daughter so if you guys can fucking leave that'd be great and then they silently do but they leave the door kind of ajar and they don't close it my mom doesn't really look back and walks away we live in these, like like I said, these apartment buildings for immigrants and all these immigrant families that are like in these apartments, sometimes 13 to a one bedroom, are in the hallway and they're like looking all at us. There's like people with half braided hair. They're all looking in and everybody looks scared. And I look at my dad and he's just looking forward. So I'm like, all right, I guess keep the door open and keep, uh, keep on trucking. Um, and... Um, and then my dad looks down and sees starts noticing the Barbie dolls and he picks one up and picks up a head and is trying to put it back on his body. And he he like can't do it. He can't he can't get it on where the neck is. And he keeps fumbling with it and it's like just not going on. And he starts crying. And I've never seen an adult person cry before and I've certainly never seen my dad emote in the least bit like we've never told each other we love each other we've never you know he's just always been very closed off so I see him cry and I'm like what what is going on and I am like little so I don't understand that it's not about the dolls and so I'm like it's fine you don't have to I don't need the dolls we're like adults now so I don't need that and um, he very quietly just says like I'm sorry I just wish we could have stayed together while you're still a kid that's all I love you and I wish we could have done that and um, I say I love you too and then we just keep watching the movie and that was the end of that day and it's really weird because I don't Like, this one specific incident has really, really colored the way I see my parents. Like, I, for years, would see them as just good and just bad. Like, my dad decidedly was good because he was looking for a job, you know, and loved us, and then my mom was bad because she took off. And this ended up being really problematic in my relationships with them, honestly, from there on out. And so I didn't learn right then how to be an adult, you know? Like, I didn't. I know without a doubt that this incident is, like, the end of childhood and the beginning of me, like, growing up. But it would still be a very long time of my being a dumb kid still. It's just that for the first time ever, I saw my parents as people and not these abstract figures. Thank you.
0: I remember when I still was young in the
3: sun I knew hardly any worries Now the story's changed and all is fading away Won't you stay until the daybreak? I was young, I was young
0: I was young, I was young I was young, I was young, I was young This is Risk, this is Ewert and the two dragons behind me now, and we just heard from Ara, Anna, oh fuck, I fucked up her name, (laughs) I fucked up her name again, Anna Saragina. Of course, this time I fucked up the easy part. Folks, we're going to be trying something new this week, and that is because there's something that might happen in the near or far future, but... (laughs) What the fuck was that? (laughs) You see, it doesn't take drugs or alcohol at all. Anyway, risk may be taking things to the next level in a profoundly exciting way in the near future and what we want to do in order to make that happen is increase the size of our audience. We want more people to be trying risk out. Do you have any idea how many people listen to The Moth or This American Life or Snap Judgment? Gargantuan audiences, so many of those people have never so much as heard of risk. Obviously, we don't have the kind of money Those places do and full-time staffs and the backing of national public radio, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Listen, as soon as you can, tell five friends, tell 10 friends, you've got to check Risk out. Tell them the best of Risk number four is probably the best episode to start with. That's always been one that I recommend to people first. Send them a link to our website at risk-show.com. Tell them how easy it is to download, how it makes driving or riding the train or running on the treadmill or taking a walk around town or while you're doing the chores at home or whatever it is so much more meaningful and emotional and entertaining and just memorable a time. If you believe in risk, be a a proselytizer of risk. Go forth and preach the good news. And find us on Twitter and Facebook and let us know that you did. In both places, we're at risk show and on Twitter, I'm at the Kevin Allison. So let's see if we can do this. Let's see if several months from now we can say we get almost two million downloads a month. Because I know in my heart for sure there are hundreds of thousands of people out there who have just never heard of the show or have heard of it, but just never took the time to give it a good shot. If they did, they'd become hooked. They'd love it. It would be a real beneficial thing to have in their lives. Will you do that for us? Spread the word. Thank you so much. We love you guys. Now, our final story tonight comes from the wonderful writer, Cole Kasdan. You can find her at colekasdan.com. Cole has written for uh, the New York Times, for Salon.com, ABC. She did such a lovely job at the Nerdist Showroom in Los Angeles, where we have the Risk Show every fourth Thursday of the month. Here's Cole Caston with a story we call Las Baenas.
2: not to date a man with a motorcycle number one the whole leather fringe on clothing thing Uh, number two the lone wolf free baby kind of mentality and uh, the third reason not to date a man with a motorcycle is um, you know crashing and cracking your head open and dying which for me is the main reason And I had never had any desire to date a guy with a motorcycle. It wasn't like a hot, great thing for me at all. Not interested until I met this guy, Hugh. Hugh was, he was a biker officially, but you'd never know it to look at him. He looked like a totally normal person from the outside. And uh, we met at work, so he had a job. And uh, he was just like a smart, funny, cute guy who happened to ride a motorcycle as opposed to being a biker. And for me, this was a really important distinction. When I was a little girl, my Aunt Jane exclusively dated motorcycle rider guys, they were always these very, like, ruggedly good looking. Bad judgment, slightly assholey, non committal guys. And um, I remember they would do, like, every time something would happen, like, they would say something really stupid at the dinner table, or um, one didn't show up for Christmas. Like, we waited, and he just never showed up. Uh, and my dad would just, like, look down at his plate and shake his head as if he wished it weren't, like, so predictable, like, bikers. <laughs> When I was six, my aunt's husband at the time, who did have leather fringe on everything, asked me if I wanted to go for a ride around the block on his Harley. And um, I said no, cause I was six. And he made fun of me, like, what are you, scared? I'm like, yes, I'm six. And like, he laughed at me, and my dad saw the whole thing, and afterwards my dad told me that I had very good judgment, and I had made the right decision. And as an adult, I remember once or twice I was on the back of a motorcycle and it was very fun, but I knew, like, a very bad idea. And I knew that bikers were not marriage material because I had seen this with my aunt and her, like, three biker husbands. And I knew, anyway, that the man that I would eventually marry would be an Ivy League grad who had read East of Eden three times. <laughs> Those were my deal breakers. <laughs> very reasonable. What girl does it mean? Um... And and I was noticing as I was like in my getting into my mid-30s that all the things that were on my pros list in a potential partner when I was in my 20s were now in the cons list. So I was like in my mid-30s, like hot, fun musician. It was now like hot fun musician. <laughs> and when I met Hugh, he was like, he was a little older and really grounded and smart, and but he was also hot. And he was fun. And he was a musician. <laughs> and uh, she knows. <laughs> and he also had a motorcycle, so it was like red flags all over the place. But Hugh wasn't a hotshot about the bike. In fact, the first time I ever rode on his bike, he gave me this like boring 10-minute safety lecture. <laughs> And lent me his spare helmet and this jacket that had, like, armor on it. I'm like, way to take all the fun out of riding a motorcycle. Uh And he told me that the faster the bike went, the safer it was, actually, because the momentum of the force of that keeps you upright. And when the bike is going slowly, you have to be very, very still and not fidget. I was like, all right. So that was the main tip. Within, like, a couple times of being on the bike, I surprisingly, started loving being on a motor, like being on a motorcycle is so fun, you guys. like It makes everything an adventure, like even going to Gelson's is like an adventure. Like, are we gonna take the bike? Okay, let's get milk. And and I was starting starting to fall for Hugh too, because even though he had all the makings of a great hot fling, he also had a lot of qualities that I was looking for in a partner. I was maybe starting to fall in love with him. So when he asked me to go with him on a 10-day motorcycle trip down the Baja Peninsula in Mexico, I said yes, because what could go wrong there? <laughs> we rode down Highway 1. I mean, we had, all our belongings were like packed tightly on the bike. We were staying in tiny towns I'd never even heard of. I mean, it was an adventure like I had never, ever done before. We swam in the Sea of Cortez. We ate guacamole for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It was like the perfect trip, and it was so romantic. And when you're on a motorcycle, you're sometimes, you know, you're riding for hours at a time, and you can't. Talk to each other so we started to develop this nonverbal communication system like I would tap him on the shoulder to indicate pull over for like a bathroom break he would tap my knee to kind of wake me up to a sight that maybe to make sure I wasn't missing something beautiful that we were seeing I would um, uh, squeeze him with my legs to indicate excitement like if I saw a sign for the town we were heading to like Todos Santos 20 kilometers it's not fair to blame the gray whales for what happened next because they're innocent animals okay there are these whales these amazing gray whales according to everyone in mexico and once a year they migrate down from heaven apparently to this one lagoon in San Ignacio to give birth to their young. And they're only there for a week and if you blink you miss it and then they go back to swim at the right hand of God and people plan their whole trips like a year in advance for this one week in San Ignacio. Right? This... Whale eclipse. And and Hugh and I just happened to be in San Ignacio when this was happening. And it's all anyone talks about. Like you go to cafes and you just hear like whales, whales, whales. Like everyone's talking about the whales. And how we just saw the whales. Are you seeing the whales? We're seeing the whales tomorrow. We saw the whales yesterday. And when people just in chatting with people found out that we weren't seeing the whales, there was almost this tourist peer pressure about it. Like, you're not seeing the whales? Why aren't you seeing the whales? The whales are magic. If you don't see the whales, you are a fool because the whales will change you.
3: <laughs>
2: and it's, it's not like we don't like whales. Like Whales are great. But the main reason we, we weren't going to see the whales is because the road to get to the whales was actually kind of treacherous for a bike. It was a dirt road with sand. And for a car, that's no big deal, but for a bike, sand can be like black ice almost. The tires have nothing to grip into. So Hugh didn't want to risk it. And then when the 400th person told us we had to see the whales, and that the road wasn't even that bad, we decided to go for it. The road was that bad. It was worse. I mean, it was dirt and sand and unpredictable terrain, and it was 40 miles. And I remember there were times where I could feel underneath me the bike wanting to go down. I could feel the wheels not being able to grip. At one point, we were going down this sandy hill, and I could hear Hugh in front of me yelling at himself through his helmet you are not going down, you are not going down, throttle through, speed up, speed up. He had to talk himself to speed up because when you are about to fall down, it's completely counterintuitive to speed up. But he did and he got us through. But I was terrified. I mean, this is not what I signed up for. I signed up for sex and guacamole in Mexico. (laughs) And now I was in a life or death situation. So 40 miles and and finally I see this little patch of blue sea and a sign to the right that said Las Ballenas with an arrow. That's whales in Spanish. And uh, it had like a little, I remember a cartoon picture of a whale with like a little blowhole, like (laughs) an arrow. And and so uh, we turn off and then we hit a patch of sand and we went down and we weren't going that fast but we went down hard. I mean, I remember my helmet just smacked against the ground. And then we were trapped under the bike, this 500 pound machine, like in the same position we were sitting up, but like on the ground, like that. (laughs) I did a quick mental scan for the kind of pain that goes with broken bones, because I know that pain, I know what that feels like, and I hadn't broken anything. So I wormed my way out from under the bike. And I remember I was asking Hugh, are you okay, are you okay? And he wasn't answering and finally he said, I don't know. We were in the middle of fucking nowhere. I don't speak Spanish. I had just learned the word for whales 20 feet back. It's Las Baenas. (laughs) Hugh wormed his way out from under the bike and he could tell that he broke a few ribs. He could feel it and another tourist had seen us go down and circled back and helped us get the bike up, and we walked it down the road towards the beach, where you get the boats, to see the whales. I decided that I was never getting on a motorcycle ever again in my life, which is not the best decision to make when you're only halfway through your romantic motorcycle trip through Mexico. But I didn't care. I mean, I, my whole skeleton felt rattled. And, and I was afraid. I wanted to go home. I wanted to call my dad. I wanted to take a bus back into town, even though there was no bus and there was no town. And, and Hugh had walked down a little to the beach and, and he sat down and he, he looked angry. And then I got closer and I saw he had started to cry. And it, it wasn't for his broken ribs or the fall. It, it was for me. All he wanted was for me to feel safe on this trip and feel safe with him. And he felt that he had let me down. I didn't say anything, but as if reading my mind, he said he would completely understand if I never wanted to get on the bike again and if I wanted to go home. And if I wanted to get the next bus back into town, even though there was no bus and there was no town. Something about him saying that changed something in me. But the first time, maybe in my life, in any relationship, I decided I had to put myself aside. (laughs) That my pain and my fears were secondary for now. Because if I wanted to be in a relationship with this person, i had to show him that i trusted him i had to get back on the bike but first we saw the whales and they are magnificent (laughs) there's like mothers and babies playing in the surf, we're in this tiny little boat close enough to touch them. The babies have baby blowholes and they're squirting you with their baby blowholes. The whales are magic. And if you are in San Ignacio the second week of March and you do not see the whales, you are fools because they will change you. There was no way back except the way we came. It was 40 miles of dirt and sand. I remember at one point, Hugh had us both get off the bike so that we could walk it up that sandy hill that we had come down, it was so scary. But the whole ride, I was terrified. And when we finally hit pavement, Hugh reached his hand back and I took it. It was our nonverbal bike communication. He was saying, thank you. And I was saying, I'm in. There are three reasons not to date a man with a motorcycle, but I couldn't think of one, not to marry Hugh when he asked me the following year. Because I realized that bad shit happens beyond your control, but there is no one I would rather have at my side than that man. And I think the whale's did change me after all thank you
0: this week's episode folks this is Callie Mason behind me now and we just heard from Cole Kasdan don't forget to be spreading the word about risk tell your friends tell them on Facebook and Twitter email them tell them in person tell them how to download it tell them where our website is at risk-show.com Tell them about some of the most unforgettable stories that you've heard on the show. If everyone who hears this episode told 5 to 10 people about Risk, I think we could really increase the size of our audience. So do it! And don't forget on July 17th, we are in Minneapolis. We are still taking pitches for that show. The theme is shock. I'm at KevinAtRisk-Show.com. Time's running out for getting those pitches in. On the 23rd, we're back in New York and Los Angeles. And on the 25th of July, I'll be doing a storytelling workshop in Reno, Nevada. That night, the 25th, we'll be doing a, a risk show in Reno. At the, ho- the, the theme that night will be Mindfuck. On August 21st, we're in Philadelphia. On August 22nd, we're in D.C. Philly, the theme is rattled. D.C., the theme is ludicrous. For all four of those out-of-town shows, we're still taking pitches. So pitch me at at KevinAtRisk-Show.com. Hey there! Would you like to take a one-on-one Skype session, a storytelling training session, with me... Well, you can through thestorystudio.org. Other things we have available are corporate workshops. We travel, we'll go out of town to come do a workshop for your staff. Uh, We do in-person workshops in New York and Los Angeles. We have our workshop that's online that you can take in your own time at your own speed all at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Get her name let me get her name right. Let me get her name right. Oh, let me get her name right. Oh, let me get her name right. Let me get her name right. Let me get her name
1: right.